Now, if you're new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I think you came on a great Sunday because you caught us at the beginning of a series, and this series is called Words to Live By. And in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to explore the power of words. And each week, we're going to look at one new word, and we're going to learn how that word can guide us, can protect us, can help us learn to live the life that God wants us to live if we will learn to use that word effectively. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at one word, then over the next six weeks, we'll look at six different words. So today we're going to start with one of our all-time favorite words, and I'm looking for some audience participation. What do you think that word might be? What's that? Faith. Faith. Ecclesiastes. Faith. Ecclesiastes. Man, you like up the bar. Apparently, I'm not thinking of big enough words once you find out what this word is. So we got faith. We got Ecclesiastes. What else? What other options? Grace. Love, grace. Okay, you guys are doing like the, the really good spiritual answer stuff. I need you to, to dial it back a little bit. Go like more basic. No. Somebody say no. You found it. You found the word that we're going to talk about today. So it's just a two-letter word. Not all that spiritual. It's not grace. It's not faith. It's not Ecclesiastes. It's just the simple word, no. And you may not remember the first time you found that word, but if you're a parent, you probably recognize when your child found that word. And at some point, all of us discover this super powerful word. Uh, my wife and I have four kids, and for each of them, there was a day that they discovered the power of the word no, and they decided to use it against us. And so, you know, if you have kids, you understand, you, like you see them in that terrible two time frame, and, and they discover the word, and they go like, I think I'm going to use it today. Today's going to be the day, and they get the look on their face, and maybe they cross their arms, and a little bit pouty, and all of a sudden you hear, no, I'm not going to pick up my toys. I'm not going to eat my broccoli. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And if you're a new parent, it's kind of a shocking moment. Like, like what happened to my sweet angel? Like, they're demon-possessed now. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. Um, and for each of my four kids, they had that powerful, magical moment, and then they learned that mom and dad have been saying no for a whole lot longer than they have, and uh, we helped them navigate through how to use that word more effectively. Now, we use the word no in all kinds of contexts, and um, there are some of us who love to say the word no, and we say it loud and aggressively, and um, you, you, you might be sitting by somebody who likes to say no uh, all the time, or you might be that person who's kind of passive with your no. Some of us don't like to say no. Like, we struggle with that. Like, we're a little codependent, and we think, you know, if I say no, it's going to hurt somebody's feelings, so we find secret ways to say no like subtle ways, like, you know, somebody wants to be friends on social media, like, I'll oh, just ignore that. Don't really want to be your friend. Uh, or uh, somebody calls or texts and you don't really want to interact with them. Oops, sorry, didn't see it for several months. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Somebody got my phone and like messed it up. So there are those of us that love to say the word no aggressively. There are those of us that kind of like to say a little bit more passively. And we can say no with our words. We can say no with our bodies. 
Uh, you may walk into a business, you're looking for somebody to help you, and, and you can tell within about three seconds whether it's going to be a joyful experience with that person or not. If they've got kind of that body language that says, it's just not going to be your day. Like, I'm having a bad day, and I'm going to take it out on you. I'm just not going to help you. So we can say no in all kinds of ways. We can even say no with our cars. And some of you might have said no with your car this morning. You know, you're, you're rushing, you know, to get to church, you're flying down, you know, Beltaire, and you're like, I got to get there, and somebody else has got to get there too, and they're trying to cut you off, and you go with your car, uh-uh, not going to happen, I'm not letting you cut in front of me, like, no way, I'm not, I'm not going to allow that to happen. So we can even say no with our cars, and I found this, like, really fascinating study that came out a number of years ago, and I found it in the Journal of Applied Social Psychology. So you know if it's coming from, you know, something with that many big words, like, it's got to be true. So listen to what they did. They did this study years ago um, on how we say no to people who are trying to just get our parking spot behind us, like at Walmart. So you're sitting in your parking spot, you're ready to leave, and we can say no to those people. And listen to what they found in this study. The, the abstract or the summary of the study says this. It says, three studies showed that drivers leaving a public parking space are territorial, even when such behavior is contrary to their goal of leaving. Like, you know, I got to leave, but you're behind me. I don't want you to get my spot, so I'm just going to wait a little bit longer. It's kind of what that's saying. In study one, observations of 200 departing cars intruded upon drivers took longer to leave than non-intruded upon drivers. In study two, an experiment involving 240 drivers in which level of intrusion and status of the driver were manipulated, drivers took longer to leave when another car was present and when the intruder honked. Like, isn't that crazy? Don't you hate it when somebody's behind you honking? Oh, that just drives me nuts. And I kind of have that personality. Like, if, if uh, you're behind me in a light and you honk, I, I might just go really, really, really slow. Or if I'm in the parking spot, I might just go like, you know what? I think I'll go back in the store, put it in park, and go back in. Now, is that going to hurt me? Yeah, because I probably need to leave. But uh-uh, I don't want you to have my spot because you were honking. I'm saying no to you. Now, Guys, listen to this. The study also found this, and it's a gender issue here, so pay attention. Men tend to leave significantly sooner when intruded upon by higher status cars rather than a lower status car, but female departure times did not differ as a function of the status of the car. So ladies, you don't care who's sitting behind you. Like, you don't care how long they have to wait. You're saying no to everybody. Women power, right? I thought I'd hear amen out of some women or something. Maybe the guys should say, yeah, like I, we see that. So we can say no to people in some very creative ways. But let me ask this. Why do you think we love to say no so much? Control and power. Good. What else? What was that? It's easy? Is that what you said? I'm sorry. I'm just confirming. Yeah, so it's easy. It's easy to say no. It, it allows us to control other people. Sometimes it allows us to control our own lives or makes us think that we have control. allows us to manipulate people. Sometimes it, it allows us to get what we want. Um, but God's got a different plan for the word no and how we use that. God doesn't want us to use the word no selfishly. He wants us to use the word no purposefully. 
in a way that helps us to learn to become more like Jesus. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to explore a real Bible story of a guy who learned to say the word no through some very difficult situations. And the story we're going to look at is the story of Joseph. It's found in Genesis uh, chapter 37. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn over there, feel free to do that. If you want to follow along in your smartphone, you can do that. If you want to follow along with the verses on the screen as well, you can do that. So Joseph's got this amazing story. Um, He's the son of a man named Jacob. And Joseph has 11 brothers. And there's a little bit of family dysfunction here. Um, Anybody grow up in a dysfunctional family? Four of us did, and I think maybe the rest of us were just afraid to raise your hand because maybe a family member was sitting by you. So listen to, to this dysfunctional family that they have. So Genesis 37 verse 2 says, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked with his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. And I just want to pause real quick. If you're looking for a baby name that nobody's using today, you got you a couple right there. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Joseph was a tattletale. And his brothers hated him for that. And then verse 3 makes it worse. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So... One day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. So he wears this beautiful robe, and what do you think his brothers think every time they see that robe? You love Joseph more than you love me. You're daddy's favorite. Just a regular reminder of their status in the family. So verse four says, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. And then things get a little bit worse in verse five. One night, Joseph had a dream. When he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, So you think you're going to be our king, do you? Like, do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Uh, One day, his brothers are off away from the family home. They're taking care of their father's sheep. Joseph's not there. Maybe this was kind of a favorite moment for him and his dad or something. So his brothers are all off. They're working. And Jacob says, hey, I need you to go check on uh, my sons. So Joseph takes off to go see them, finds them. And when they see Joseph kind of walking across the, the horizon, hey, somebody's coming. They know who it is. How? They see the robe. Oh, there's daddy's favorite. Here he comes, you know, the guy with all the dreams. We're going to bow down and worship him. So what his brothers do is they say no to Joseph. No more of you being daddy's favorite. No more of your selfish dreams. No more to you. And they decide to kill him. So they hatch a plan. Let's just kill him. We'll take his robe. um, We'll give it back to dad. And um, he'll know that, that we'll tell him that an an animal has killed him. So they later come up with a different plan and say, no, let's just not, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in a pit. 
And then we'll do the same thing. We'll take his robe, we'll, we'll rip it up, we'll put blood on it from an animal, and we'll tell dad that an animal got him. And then later they come up with a different plan. Like, why don't we sell him into slavery? Like, then we'll make some money off of him. So they come up with that plan. And they sell him to some traders that are on their way to Egypt. Uh, Joseph gets in Egypt, and he's sold to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was a powerful man in the kingdom of Egypt. Uh, he was captain of the guard. So let's just pause for a second. Let's put ourselves into this story. Let's put ourselves in Joseph's sandals. So if you're Joseph, just answer this kind of rhetorically for yourself. If you're Joseph, how are you feeling about life right now? How are you feeling about your family, your brothers? And then how are you feeling about God? Like the God that you have worshiped, the God that could have stepped in and intervened, the God that could have saved you from all of this. And I think Joseph could have easily said no to God. Like, God, you didn't step in and save me from my brothers. So, like, I'm not going to serve you anymore. I'm going to turn my back on you. But Joseph didn't respond that way. Chapter 39, verse 2 says, The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. And this pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. And all of his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. Uh, with Joseph there, he didn't have to worry about anything except what kind of food to eat. Wouldn't that be amazing to, to be married to somebody like that or like have one of your top employees was kind of a Joseph and all you got to worry about is like what you're going to eat for lunch or dinner? Well, Joseph refused to say no to God and uh, instead said no to some attitudes he could have had in that very difficult situation. And God blessed him and not only blessed him, God blessed Potiphar as well. Now, here's where our story gets a little R-rated. So uh, if you have a little one next to you, like maybe cup their ears for just a second or just spend the rest of the time deciding how you're gonna have an awkward conversation at lunch, okay? So verse six says, Joseph was very handsome and a well-built young man. And if you read in the text a little bit further, it gives indication that it was bald because most bald guys are well-built and handsome. I'm just saying, you gotta really read scripture to dig in and find that stuff. Just, that was free. Okay, so verse seven says he's handsome, he's well-built, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. All right, let's put ourselves in Joseph's sandals again. So here we are, the brothers have sold us into slavery, God hasn't stepped in to intervene. Now we're a slave in a foreign country. I don't think any of us would blame Joseph if he gave in to that temptation. I don't think any of us would. I mean, he's pretty much lost everything in his life. What more does he have to lose? I mean, he could lose his life. He, he almost lost that at another point, but he's looking at a life of slavery. So, like, which is worse, you know, death or slavery? 
So I don't know that too many of us would blame him for that. And you know, sometimes I think when, when we read, sometimes when I read Bible stories, sometimes we kind of gloss over them like they're just kind of made up stories. Like, like maybe this is a story that Moses made up. This isn't a made up story. It's a real story about a real guy in a really difficult situation. And he has a tough decision to make. And I have to wonder when I put myself in that spot, like what decision would I make? So don't answer this out loud, but what would you do if you were in that spot? What would you do? Sometimes I think we think, well, I'd be like Joseph. I, you know, I'd respond the way Joseph would. Like, would you? Now, often I'll hear people say, you know, if I were in that situation, this is what I would do. And then that person gets in that situation and I watch and that's not exactly what they do. We gotta be careful about what we think we might do before we get in a spot. And we gotta wonder, what, what would Joseph do? when he's in this spot. So here's what Joseph did. Verse eight says, but Joseph refused. He refused his boss's wife. He said, look, my master trusts me with everything. His entire household, no one here has more authority than I do. And he has held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? And this this statement, I think, is kind of his guiding line for him. And he says, it would be a great sin against my God. And I go, wow, wow. Like like Joseph could have said no to God and yes to that. But Joseph said no to that temptation. He said no to that demand from his boss's wife. He said no to his own physical desires in that moment when many of us would would probably just say like, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I would have. And Joseph did not say no for a moment. He didn't say like, no today, but if you keep asking, maybe you'll wear me down. Verse 10 says, uh, she kept putting pressure on him day after day. And we don't know if that's like a week or if that's a month or a couple months, we're not sure. But day after day, she puts the same pressure, the same temptation in front of him and he still refused. See, Joseph determined in his heart he was going to say no to anything that would pull him away from his relationship with God. And I think that's an effective use of the word no. He didn't say no selfishly. He didn't say no to control somebody else. He said no so he could stay in a close relationship with his God. Now, when I read that story Here's what I expect God to do next. I expect God to say, Joseph, way to go. Well done. You passed the test. I'm going to free you from slavery. But that's not what happened. See, one day, because he continually refused her, she accused him of rape. She orchestrated this event where nobody else would be around and they would have to meet one-on-one. He did his best to avoid her all the time. But she made it happen. She orchestrated this where they would be one-on-one. And she put her proposal out again, and he said no. This time he turned and ran, but he ran without a shirt because she had a hold of it. She kept a shirt, and then when her husband got home, she said, look what your servant did to me. Here's proof. I have a shirt. So Joseph ended up in the dungeons of Egypt for two years. Now, If I'm Joseph, I'm putting myself in this story, this is probably the moment that I'm going, okay, God, what are you doing? 
You know, I, I've been saying no, using the word no effectively for all this time. And here I say no again to something that would pull me away from you and hurt my relationship with you. I said no, and this is the reward I get? I mean, that might be the moment I'm tempted to say, in the dungeons of Egypt, you know, I'm turning my back on you, God. I'm saying no to you now because you haven't stepped in to help me. But Joseph said no to that kind of thinking. So in verse 21, it says, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. God showed Joseph his faithful love while Joseph was in prison. And I think here's, here's the lesson or a couple of lessons for us. Sometimes God's love is best seen in difficult situations. Sometimes God's presence is best felt in places we don't deserve to be. And so I'm just curious this morning, is there anybody here who would say that you saw God's love, you felt God's presence, or maybe you met God personally in an extremely difficult moment in your life for a moment that maybe you didn't even put yourself there? Is there anybody here that would say that? Number of you. Again, sometimes we meet God and experience him in places that we least expect it. And I think that the reason that happened is tied to Joseph saying no. Like, no, I'm not giving in to that temptation. No, I'm not giving in to that attitude. No, I'm not going to turn my back on my God. It doesn't matter what happens. So he sat in prison for two years. God eventually did reward him and bring him out of prison. And it was this amazing event. And it covers several chapters in scripture. So I encourage you to read that this week. We're not going to read through all of that this morning. I'm going to tell you the highlights of it. But if you pick up one of our spiritual growth challenges before you leave today, um, and then you spend time reading this week, the suggested Bible reading plan, you'll read through this story and you'll see how amazing this was. So Pharaoh has a dream and it bothers him. And he asks everybody to interpret the dream. Nobody can. They find out Joseph actually has the ability to interpret dreams. So Pharaoh calls him up out of the dungeons. Uh, He correctly interprets the dream. And Pharaoh goes, okay, guess what? Your lucky day. You're now number two in command, only second to me. Can you imagine that day? Wow. Like, talk about a promotion. That was a big promotion for him. He gets put in charge of, like, pretty much everything in the land, specifically the food distribution, because uh, part of Pharaoh's dream is about a famine that's going to come across the land for seven years. And so Joseph gets put in charge of collecting food and distributing food, and making sure that everybody is able to eat and survive this famine. Um, So in chapter 42 through 45, we get this interesting twist in the story. So Joseph's brothers, remember those guys? Joseph's brothers, they experienced the famine, and they've got to go somewhere for food. And they find out there's food in Egypt. So they go to Egypt to get food. Guess who they have to go get their food from? Joseph, 
Like they have to meet with him personally. They've got to meet with him one-on-one and tell him who they are and why they're there. And, and uh, Joseph has like this uh, really interesting encounter with him. But again, put ourselves in Joseph's spot. Like what would you be thinking? What would I be thinking if you're standing in that spot? You're Joseph. You're dressed up like an Egyptian and your brothers who tried to kill you but then decided to sell you are standing in front of you. What are you thinking? No food for you. That's like uh, the soup Nazi or something, right? How do you like me now? Um, I'm thinking, okay, God, thank you. This is my moment to get revenge. You have finally put them under my power and under my control. That's probably what I would have done, but Joseph didn't. He said no in another way. Chapter 45, verse 1 says, Joseph could stand it no longer. He's in a room with these guys and um, there were many other people in the room and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. And he wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I'm Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. Do you think Like, I'm thinking, yeah, they were speechless. We got nothing to say. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please, come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Joseph said no to hatred of his brothers. He said no to giving in to despair in that difficult situation. He said no to turning his back on God. He said no to revenge of his brothers when he had the power and the ability to enact that revenge. And that's how we can effectively use the word no in our lives. God used everything that Joseph went through to get him to the exact spot where he could save not only himself, but he could save his entire family. Wow. Joseph's not the only person in scripture that said no. There's all kinds of people throughout scripture that said no to sin, no to temptation, no to turning my back on God, no to that wrong attitude, like no, I'm just not gonna do that. I'm not going to turn away from my God. So this morning, I'd just like to ask you and ask myself, ask all of us, what might you need to say no to this morning? Is there something tempting you away from God? Is there something keeping you away from God? Is there someone tempting you away or trying to keep you from a relationship with God? Is there an attitude that you're tempted to embrace? Anger, bitterness, jealousy, resentment, revenge? Is there an attitude you're tempted to hold on to and say yes to that and no to God's plan for that to reform you? Is there something that you're going through, some difficulty where you would say, you know what, I don't know that I could make it through half of what Joseph went through before I would just say, I'm done with you, God. 
Is there some difficulty that you're going through? What might you need to say no to this morning? Now, as you're kind of processing that for a second, I want us to practice um, our use of the word no. And I'm going to read to you a list of questions. I have five questions for you. They're going to come up on the screen. And if you would say no to any one of these things, I'd like you to say no out loud. And I'd like us to do it out loud together, just kind of um, with a bold no. Uh, not just kind of a, you know, a passive no, but like a, a declaration, like a no, I'm not going to do that. So um, to kind of get us into this, I want us to practice uh, for just a second. Um, and I would like you to say no in your best two-year-old temper tantrum throwing dirty diaper wearing attitude, okay? All right, so we all good? We're going to practice this on the count of three. One, two, three. No. Oh, very good. Very good. You're going to do well with this. Ready? Here's my questions. Number one, will you use, will you use the word no to manipulate and control people and situations? No. Will you allow difficult things in life to cause you to turn away from God? No. Will you look for opportunities to get revenge on people who have hurt you? No. Will you give in to anything that might pull you away from God? No. And this last one is probably the most important one. Will you make Trent wait behind you when he's trying to get your parking spot at Walmart? Yeah. Oh, man, you guys are awake the whole service. I thought I'd trick you into that one. All right, so what I encourage you to do this week is spend some time evaluating your use of the word no. So just this week, just kind of have a, a no radar for yourself where you recognize, like, how, how often do I say the word no? Why do I say the word no? Um, what's my motivation when I'm saying no? Just kind of track that for yourself this week and then allow Joseph's story to influence you and teach you how to say no effectively so that we can learn to become a little bit more like Jesus. Next week, we're gonna explore the word yes and how yes can be even more transformational for us than the word no. So if you would, just stand with me for a second. I'm going to pray, and then we'll be done for today. Lord, we, I think we all understand the power of words. It's through words that you crafted scripture, and we get to read and um, be transformed by those words, your thoughts captured in print for us. Words guide us, words can protect us, words can influence us, words can motivate us, words can tempt us, uh, words can do all kinds of things in our lives. And Lord, there's some simple words that we use on a regular basis and we overlook their power in our lives. And today, Lord, we've learned about the word no. And I would admit in my own life that many times I don't use that word effectively. Many times I use that word to control other people or... Uh, get a situation you know, worked out the way that I want it worked out, maybe to get what I want. And yet, God, we've watched Joseph today walk through an incredibly difficult scenario in his life that took years to unfold. And all along the way, he said no. He said no to temptation. He said no to bad attitudes. He said no to sin that would pull him away from you. He learned how to say yes to you and no everything else. 
So Lord, I pray that you would guide us through that this week as we're kind of evaluating our use of the word no. And I pray that we would learn how to say no in ways that bring great honor and glory to you. We look forward to how you're going to guide us in that this week. In Jesus' powerful name we say this. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here, everybody. Hope you have a fantastic day. We'll see you next week.